This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Cleveland Browns. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Cover 2 podcast. It's been a little while, so today on the show, we are going to catch up with Nate on uh, his trip to Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine last week. We're going to talk about the Browns' decision to put the franchise tag on tight end David Njoku. We're going to talk about some potential other roster moves that could happen before NFL free agency starts on March 16th. Before we get going with the podcast, don't forget we are brought to you by USA Today Sports Plus. It's a new app from our friends over at USA Today. It's a new look at sports coverage and some different takes, different ideas. They have some really good people over there. Josina Anderson, Tyler Dragon, um, several others. It's a it's cool. It's new. It's USA Today Sports Plus, so please check it out. It's in the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. Nate, we we haven't talked in a while, and that's on me. It's been super busy uh, with my regular work stuff, so let's catch up on some Browns news, starting with David Njoku. The team placed a franchise tag on him this week. We're recording this, by the way, Tuesday morning or late morning-ish. Um, the franchise tag for tight end is about $10.9 million for next season. The Browns still have Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant, uh, the young player, kind of, uh, he's still third in that listing, and I, I tend to think he should get more of an opportunity. What do you make of this decision to put the franchise tag on Njoku? Well, Dan, they just think that David Njoku's best football is yet to come. And we've been saying that forever with David Njoku. He has five NFL seasons under his belt. So it sounds strange kind of when you think about it to say like, hey, this guy hasn't reached his potential yet because, you know, he's been in the league for quite a while now. Um, But I really think that's the case with the way the Browns view him and Andrew Barry was a big part of drafting him in 2017, trading up in the into the first round uh, and picking him uh, 29th overall. And Andrew Barry um, was the chief talent evaluator of the Browns at the time. Sashi Brown was the one whose names were attached to the picks, but Andrew Barry was the the top uh, player personnel um, talent evaluator, and and therefore. Uh, had a lot of say in, you know, the way the, the Browns attacked the draft. And, you know, there are many examples from that 2017 class of guys that Andrew Berry has pursued. Um, and I just think that, you know, he has, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of belief in David Njoku and that he 
uh, thinks that David Njoku has ascended and thinks that David Njoku will continue to, um, you know, basically progress toward a Pro Bowl level given more opportunities. So I think that's what this is all about. And, you know, kind of one thing, I, it's old now, but one thing I really learned at the Combine was David Njoku was, was going to be tagged, um, whether it was fran- franchise or transition tag, I didn't know for sure. But I felt really strongly uh, from what I've been told that he was going to be tagged if they didn't reach that multi-year uh, contract extension um, that the Browns and his agent, uh, Malki Kawa, have been working on uh, for months and months, you know, going back to the summer. And David Njoku said that he would instruct Kawa to to reach that long-term extension with the Browns. Haven't done it yet, but now this gives them more time with the franchise tag. Uh, the way it works is in a collective bargaining agreement. Um, the Browns now have a new deadline of July 15th to reach that uh, contract extension with Njoku. They don't get it done by then, 4 p.m. Uh, July 15th. Then Njoku um, uh, may, may only sign that that uh, one-year franchise tag with the Browns. Uh, he would play on that for, as you said, n- nearly $11 million. Uh, and then after uh, the final game of the 2022 regular season, he would then be eligible again to sign a contract extension with the Browns if the two sides can get something worked out. So I think that that's what they want to do. The hope is there. Njoku said he wants to spend the rest of his career here. He's had a, quite the change of heart. I mean, at one point, in the summer of 2020, his former agent, Drew Rosenhaus, had publicized the fact that uh, they had requested a, a trade from the Browns. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, as time has passed, uh, David Njoku's mind, his mind about the Browns has changed. I think Andrew Berry has had um, a tremendous amount to do with that. I think that letting Njoku's fifth-year option become fully guaranteed last March uh, for six plus million dollars really was a um, olive branch or a, a strong show of faith in Njoku. It was actions, not just words. And I think that resonated with Njoku. And I think that the switch kind of flipped in a lot of ways in the relationship at that moment. So here you are with, uh, you know, a guy who is ultra talented um ultra athletic hasn't quite lived up to it hasn't seen it translate consistently to the field but andrew barry obviously is betting that it will that's i gotta tell you nate that is a that's a tough bet to make i i think i mean david and joku like you said ultra talented but at the same time Wildly inconsistent is what I would also call him because, you know, there are games where he just doesn't seem to be there. Now, I I applaud him because last season it it really looked like he made an effort to get better as a blocker, and he did. But as a pass catcher last season, he only caught four passes in a game twice. He did that against Pittsburgh. And week two, or no, week week 16, sorry, or 17, rather. Um, and then in October against the Chargers, he had his big game, seven catches, 149 yards, and a touchdown, including that big 71-yard catch. But 
there there are games where he has no catches against the Packers. He has one catch against the Cardinals, one catch against the Bengals and the Patriots. And, you know, and looking at 2020, it's it's the same thing. He, he didn't play the whole season. By the way, he's had injury stuff, but he had, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games of a catch or less um, in, in 2020. And he's playing with the same coaching staff, the same offensive philosophy, and the same quarterback, as, you know, the, the whole time. I, I kind of fail to see why the Browns would want him at such a high price. I know the, the franchise tag for tight ends is, is low. Their only kicker and punter are lower in the NFL franchise tag listing. But I got to tell you, I, I, I think David Njoku is a fun player, but he's just so inconsistent. I don't, I, I guess I don't understand the reasoning why the Browns are doing this. Is it they just don't want to open up another roster hole, basically? Does it tell us anything about Austin Hooper and his future with the Browns? Or is it just the Browns put the franchise tag on him and they want to try and, you know, give him a longer term deal? What what do you think is the deeper meaning for this? Or is it just we like him? I think it's we like him. We we have this tremendous belief in him um, that and I, I, I can't emphasize enough how weird it is to talk in these terms about a guy who has five NFL seasons under his belt. But they don't think that he has reached his potential. Yet. I mean, Andrew Barry pointed out at the combine last week, he's only 25. I mean, that's uh, on the tip of his tongue. And I think that's central to their thinking here and that they do want him long term and that they think that, you know, he is an explosive threat in the passing game. Um, And I agree with everything you said about the inconsistency. Like, that's my point. Like, it just hasn't translated to the field for David Njoku when you talk about what a freak athlete he is and how physically imposing he is. Just haven't seen him cash in on that enough. And... The thing about Austin Hooper is really interesting, Dan. Like, what's going to happen with him is the question a lot of people have had, and and now that question's being amplified because of the Njoku extension. And you know, it's interesting because I don't know for sure uh, there's that there's an answer. You know, I know Jeremy Fowler from ESPN tweeted last night that he's been told that the Browns plan is to still keep Austin Hooper. And I believe he's been told that for sure. Uh, You know, I don't question um, Jeremy Fowler uh, relaying what he's been told at all, but I do question if that'll hold true, like all the way up until the season Would the Browns try to, you know, get creative and trade Austin Hooper and eat some of the money uh, in a deal uh, to, to move him. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but I do think that there's a possibility that, you know, this plan to keep Austin Hooper, uh, will stay intact, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to it. So for example, like the Browns used 
13 personnel, the three tight ends together on the field more than any other team uh, last season uh, by a significant margin. And I just think that, you know, so it, it would make sense if a team were to pay tight ends the way the Browns are committed to paying tight ends right now, it would make sense for it to be them. And you got to consider, like, they wouldn't be the only team to do this. Last season, the Patriots, they paid Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry $12.5 million a year. And I was talking to former NFL agent Joel Corey in January, kind of mapping out the Browns offseason. And he was saying that he thinks that, you know, Hooper could obviously be moved, but it's very painful for the Browns to to cut him this year because, you know, he, he is owed so much dead money. Uh, so the way that the Hooper contract, um, you know, breaks down, he would be owed um, – uh, well – Let's just say the, the the dead cap hit. The Browns would have a dead cap hit of eleven point two five million this year if they were to cut Hooper. Now they could give him the post June one designation, and then they would be able to spread that dead cap hit over two seasons instead of absorbing it all this off season. They could spread it over two years. But if they if they were to keep him uh, for the twenty twenty two season. Next season, his dead cap hit would drop to $7.25 million. It would be less of a burden to release him at that time. Obviously, they're still eating some dead money there. But the point is, you know, Hooper hasn't lived up to his contract. We all know that. And he's got a big dead cap hit. So I would not be surprised if the Browns do keep him and David Njoku together and pay him, you know, both what they're due to make it's not unprecedented and they do use tight ends and rely on tight ends so much so i could see it shaken out that way and then next off season move on from hooper but at the same time like i said i wouldn't be surprised like hey the draft rolls around there's a mid-round tight end that the browns really like they draft them and then something happens with hooper so um We'll see. You know, they never planned like they did. They were not like, hey, gung ho, we're going to draft Harrison Bryant in the fourth round two years ago. But they really liked him. And when it got to that point, he's still there. They took him. And then that uh, obviously led to the the ruffling of feathers with David Njoku. They had signed Austin Hooper earlier that offseason to the big deal. And then they drafted Harrison Bryant. And Njoku started wondering, how am I going to fit in here? And that's, you know, ultimately what was a contributing, huge contributing factor in the trade request. And we just went through the rest of history and how that is ultimately uh, turned around for David Njoku. But yeah, Dan, so I, I guess what I'm saying with all this is there is a lot of angst among Browns fans about this. Uh especially with the, the part about keeping Hooper and committing this much to the position. But what the Browns have done on offense under Kevin Stefanski, I think has shown us that it's not like totally out of left field if they were to keep this room intact at the big, uh, you know, amount of money that is tied up in it right now. 
Yeah, that, that's probably true. I just think you're, if you're Kevin Stefanski and you're devoted to this 13 personnel based offense, you you really got to start maximizing what these two guys can do. And at this point, you know, it hasn't happened. I, I know there have been injury stuff with, with both of them in 2020 that, that can be attributed to that. And obviously there was injury stuff to the quarterback in 2021. But, you you know, when when you look at the, the numbers for Austin Hooper and David Njoku, to me it doesn't scream this is what you put your assets into financially is all. You know, I, I understand the dead cap stuff, and that, that makes sense. But, you know, neither of these guys are Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or even Dalton Schultz, who the, the Cowboys used the franchise tag on this week. You know, they're they're just solid players with, you know, Njoku in particular, a lot of skill baked into his game that is just inconsistent. So we'll see, you know, in, in addition to the Njoku franchise news, the Browns also declined the option on fullback Andy Janovich this week. Nate, to me, that, that just says it's just a little bit of money savings kind of thing. They, they can just use Johnny Stanton for that role, considering how really diminished the fullback has been in the offense and was in 2021 for the Browns. But is, is, is that all it is? Is there more to it? Should we look into you know what these moves say about Kevin Stefanski's offense at all, or is it just a little bit of roster cleanup or pruning, if you will. I think it's just pruning uh, because. Oh, wow. Let me make sure this is real. Uh-oh. We might have Mac- to stop he- the recording. No, you don't have to stop the recording. But Pat Mack, if he just tweeted, um, this is his official Twitter account. According to my sources, Aaron Rodgers will officially be returning to the Green Bay Packers. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're, they're close buddies. Four years, $200 million, according to Ian Rapport. That sounds about, that sounds ridiculous, but okay. Okay. Well, it's not like we had Aaron Rodgers <laughs> going to the Browns, but this well, was obviously the huge domino that everybody in the NFL was waiting to fall, so it caught my attention. You know, the Browns, <laughs> are we going to continue to monitor the quarterback situation? Of course. Baker Mayfield's coming off an injury-riddled year. He struggled all season. We've talked about it a million times. Um, and he's only under contract for one more season. So, I, you know, basically the Browns doubled down on their commitment uh, to Baker Mayfield as the starter in 2022 at the Combine. Andrew Berry said it's still something that he fully expects. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski backed him, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, expressed support uh, and confidence in Mayfield's ability to play better. Uh, and really, how could he not, right? If he gets healthy, uh, it's going to be a, a big difference for him and not saying that, He's going to turn into an elite quarterback. We haven't seen that, but a lot better than what he was last season. And, 
And so, yeah, I mean, we've talked about how these big splashes that were hanging out there um, that all of the NFL community was talking about for months and months, like Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, trades for those guys were not likely for the Browns whatsoever. So um, I'm not saying this is a breaking Brown story that Aaron Rodgers uh, is going back to Green Bay, but obviously it's huge news in the NFL. Um, and, you know, if he's not going to the Broncos or to the Steelers, um, you know, maybe that's more relevant to the Browns than anything uh, that he's staying in the NFC uh, when the Browns are hoping to get back in the playoff, uh, you know, picture and, and be one of those seven teams. So uh, I don't know. Anyway, Dan, where were we? <laughs> I, I don't remember um, that. That is a great point, though. It's one less elite quarterback in the AFC for the Browns. You know, sure, they still have Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and uh, several others, but Lamar Jackson. But you don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers, I guess. So that that is good news, and there is some Browns relevancy there. I mean, there, there was a point when the whole Aaron Rodgers saga really started unfolding that, you know, there, there was a thought, hey, could the Browns make a move here? Well, whatever. Oh, boy, four years, $200 million, $153 million guaranteed. They, we went into the wrong line of work, man. Yeah, you That's know, all I, I got to say. <laughs> I, I really got the sense... Um at the combine that, that Aaron Rodgers was going to stay in green Bay, but you never know. It, it was like one of those things where, you know, I, um, you know, talking to, to somebody who, who, you know, knows the Broncos inside and outs, uh, you know, it's said that, you know, the Broncos basically put all their eggs in this basket and they're, you know, Basically, the attention now is shifting toward, you know, Kenny Pickett or, or Malik Willis in the first round for them because Drew Locke's not going to be the answer there. And, um, you know, it was like, hey, you know, the, the Broncos, you know, although they just put their eggs in the basket, they just now don't expect it to happen. Too many people are saying it's not going to happen for them. But then there was always a but, but, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers and you never really know what he's going to do just because, you know, Aaron Rodgers goes on the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday during the season and he talks for like whatever, 40, 45 minutes, maybe sometimes closer to an hour. I've listened to some of them and, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's expressing a lot of opinions about the world and the pandemic and, you know, he, he's seemingly, uh, you know, kind of relishes trolling media and the social media age. And so it's like, what is he, what's he really thinking? What's he really going to do? And that's kind of a mystery. So there was always that, but, but, uh, but, but, but how many times can I say, but in a row, I did not think he was going <laughs> to leave the Packers after some of those conversations I had. And especially the one about the, uh, with the person who knows the Broncos inside and out. Uh, but anyway, you were asking about, um, Something and I totally lost track of it. Well, let let let's just continue with this for one more beat. Okay. So, 
for you in terms of Baker Mayfield, then mm-hmm. is it, is it a total punt for you to even bother, you know, as the guy who has to write all the profiles and the, do all the interviews and all, all the, all the grinding work, are you completely punting on getting to know more about, you know, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, et cetera? Is that a, is that just a, a non point for you at this, at this juncture? No, not, not really uh, a non point because you never know. I mean, the Browns could fall in love with one of these guys. Uh, It's, you know, considered, a less than stellar quarterback class as a whole, but I think there are going to be multiple guys who go in the first round and, you know, it's a never say never thing. I don't expect them to, to draft one at 13th overall. Um, but you know, that's the game of the draft and, and, and you can never completely rule it out. I think it's more likely that they would draft a receiver or defensive end at 13. I still think receivers, the strongest possibility there. Um, but we haven't hit free agency yet, so we'll see. But I, I think that, you know, the way that they've committed all this money to the tight end room, we know they've got money tied up in guards. We know they got money tied up in running backs. I think it points to them thinking like, hey, you know, we had Odell Beckham Jr. on the books last year. We don't have that on the books now. We're not going to have Jarvis on the Landry at the same number this year and probably not going to have Jarvis Landry at all. Uh, this this coming season we can talk about that more later Dan but um, there's money being freed up money a lot of money has been allocated uh, to the wide receivers the past couple seasons with Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and it's not going to be the case so I think that they're thinking we're going to have one of our starting receivers on a rookie contract that's what allows you to pay two tight ends also the fact that you're going to have Baker Mayfield at you know 18.858 million dollars a year and not, you know, a big, I mean, this is all relatively speaking, but Baker Mayfield's guaranteed salary next year on the fifth year option is not a lot of money for a starting quarterback in the NFL. So, I mean, some of these guys, you know, the best guys are getting, you know, twice that or more. Like now we know Aaron Rodgers is signed up for. So, you know, that's why I think that they think that, you know, if, if the plan to, to keep Austin Hooper stays intact and they don't move them or anything like that. I think it's because just the way that the rosters change with the receiver, how much they rely on tight ends, but also with the receivers who are big money guys aren't going to be there. And you're going to have one on a rookie contract, whether that's first or second round, but I lean 13th overall for receivers is the position I would bet that they would take first. Um, at least right now, and we'll see. Free agency, mm-hmm. you know, that, that changes the picture. I, I still think that they'll double dip, just like they did in 2020 with tackles. They signed Jack Conklin, uh, you know, blockbuster move uh, to, to get their starting right tackle. Then they went back in the draft 10th overall, and they picked their starting left tackle in Jedrick Wills Jr. I think that, that that's the way they're going to treat wide receiver. I think we're going to get a big-name wide receiver signed in free agency and that they're going to draft a guy. 13th overall but yes you still have to have an eye on quarterback because you know if they don't sign Teddy Bridgewater or Marcus Mariota or you know Jameis Winston or Mitchell Trubisky Uh. or 
you know, trade for a Gardner Minshew. I'm just, you know, the, the competition left here of quarterbacks. Right. I, I'm going I'm going I'm not I'm not going with the, the, the yeah. upgrade tier. I'm not I'm not talking about the upgrade tier right now. I'm talking about the competition for Baker tier, the more viable fallback option than Case Keenum, um, you know, a younger, more, you know, up, more upside option than Case Keenum. If you're going to if you don't if you don't dip into that tier uh, before the draft via free agency or a deal, because um, Minshew's not a free agent and I haven't even talked about him a lot, but, you know, there is some thought that he could be traded. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't do that, then I think that your your quote unquote competition for Mayfield or your better contingency plan for Mayfield, um, should the 2022 season not go well for him, I think that that's probably going to come from the draft. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it it, it could be a double dip thing, like like they've done at previous positions, but. You know, another thing that happened Tuesday was the Buccaneers put the franchise tag on Chris Godwin. So that that knocks off one potential big, big free agent wide receiver. Devontae Adams probably going back to the Packers. uh, That knocks another one. Uh, Mike Williams of the Chargers. Allen Robinson, uh, most recently of the Bears. Odell Beckham. uh, So that that's one checked off as a no, obviously. Michael Gallup of the Cowboys coming off an ACL injury that he had late in the season. So who knows how many games he'll play next season. Antonio Brown, yikes. Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't know. Christian Kirk of the Cardinals. DJ DJ Chark of the, the Jaguars, I think. Yeah. So, you know, once you get past Mike Williams who is kind of kind of like a big possession guy and Allen Robinson who you know is old a little older and that kind of thing man I, that, that's tough I don't know it's, uh, I, I think that that to me does scream more about 13 being used on wide receiver even though you know look I I've I've made the point, and I, I think it's still a valid one, that pass rusher is a more important position, and the the draft has a lot of really good ones, but maybe they're they're so good they the Browns are now at a position at 13, and they should be in position for a guy like you know one of the Ohio State guys, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks of of Arkansas or. You know Drake London at USC, one of those kind of guys at number thirteen. But Nate, after after a week at the combine, you know, did did anybody catch your eye? You know, just either listening to them or doing their interview sessions or talking to people behind the scenes. Or I I don't want I don't want to get into like a you know a talk about their their on field numbers because who who really cares? But at the combine, did any of these kind of players really stick out to you as a, you know, yeah, this guy seems legit kind of way? Well, 
in terms of just the interviews and guys who kind of hit me is like, oh, that seems like a guy who Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry could be drawn to. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Jedrick Wills Jr. and Grant Delpit and uh, Greg Newsom II and Jeremiah Usakormo, they're like, they're cerebral players. Like if you talk to them, that part of the personality, when you talk to them about football, you talk to them to them about their craft that stands out and i do think that that's part of the profile um and you can pick that up in interviews a lot of times so yeah i'm not talking about the measurables and the spark scores and the um you know the athletic scores and you know a lot of that has to do with how the browns are going to pick um you know the age is something to keep an eye on with the browns the browns just under andrew barry they're not going to pick you know, like a, a, a 23-year-old uh, in the first round. Um, so based off just the interviews, though, and I get to listen to a decent amount of guys, not all of them because of the way the podium's set up. It's, you know, many guys are talking simultaneously and it's a free-for-all. But I, I got to tell you, like, Traylon Burks was really a fun interview to listen to. Um, a guy who... Seemed confident, but wasn't cocky and uh, was very kind of all about business, but also, you know, was willing to talk about his uh, personal life and hog hunting hobby. And um, I just I came away really impressed by him. And, you know, Dane Brugler, the the great uh, draft guru for The Athletic, has been comparing him since the fall to Debo Samuel long before, like, you know, I think everybody who covers the NFL, um, you know, really became enamored with Debo Samuel. Not that he hasn't been uh, a really nice player for a while now, but I think in the the, the 49ers playoff run, um, I think it went more mainstream, the appeal of Debo Samuel. And 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 Dane Brugler was on to that comparison long before any of that happened. So I think that... Um, that would be really interesting because if he if if Jarvis Landry is not on this team and I think he he probably won't be, um, I think Traylon Burks could could really fill a lot of those Jarvis Landry type roles. So I would be really interested in that, um, keeping an eye on him and thinking that he just seems like the kind of guy from a personality standpoint who would connect with the Browns well and who would impress them. Uh, I was really impressed by him. You know, I, I listened to to Garrett Wilson. Uh, obviously, a very impressive guy. Very impressive. I think he's another cerebral guy. Uh, another guy who would really, you know, appeal to the Browns. I don't know if he'll be there at 13. I think he's going to appeal to so many people in so many ways. But, yeah, I think he, he checks those those boxes you're looking for um, in terms of really everything, but the interview uh, from my end of it and has a relationship with Baker Mayfield, which isn't why you would pick him if you're the Browns, but it would be a nice little cherry on top that you have this quarterback that you're hoping can bounce back. And, and, you know, I think, and I asked Kevin Stefanski about this at the combine. I think we all talk about the shoulder and coming back from that and working out the mechanics after shedding that harness that, you know, affected him last year. But like, I really put a lot of stock in the Baker Mayfield's confidence 
mindset, mentality, mental makeup, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think he needs to be in a good headspace coming off that season and not always the easiest thing to do or to achieve. And I think that, you know, if you bring in your new starting receiver, if Garrett Wilson's available 13th overall, and he has history and rapport with Baker Mayfield, they went to the same high school. They, they threw and caught routes with each other. Uh, you know, at, uh, during quarantine is what Wilson said. And he said, Baker's my guy and they have a good relationship. You know, I think that that can't hurt Baker Mayfield as he tries to overcome, you know, all those ghosts and exercise all those demons from 2021. So, well, uh, the, the other thing, the other thing with Wilson real quick yeah. is that, you know, we don't do a lot of locker room speculation on our podcast, you don't do it in your reporting because it's, it's just a little irresponsible. But the seemingly the thing I kept hearing, you know, whether listening to other people you know, on the radio or whatever, talking heads, national beat writers, is that Baker Mayfield kind of lost the wide receiver room. And, you know, Odell Beckham, for whatever reason, Those two just stopped getting along, and then it just kind of seeped into the rest of the wide receiver room. We didn't hear from Jarvis Landry for a really long time, so it led to speculation, you know, about does he also dislike Baker Mayfield? A guy like Garrett Wilson would give Baker Mayfield a a guy, one of his guys, basically, in the wide receiver room. And I, I I think that is kind of important a little bit. You know, I I it makes it sound like the the franchise and Andrew Barry and, and Kevin Stefanski are really hardcore marrying themselves to Baker Mayfield, turning himself around. But I, I think you have to, to consider that a little bit, the relationship that Wilson and Mayfield could have, it could be important. Cause like you said, the confidence thing, it's absolutely part of Baker Mayfield's game. You know, it's it's part of it's part of his traits package. So th- that that's an interesting one, I think. Yeah, and I don't want to say that's why you would pick him because it's not because you don't know Baker Mayfield's going to be your quarterback beyond the 2022 season. So this is a guy you obviously plan to have a minimum of five years uh, in your first round pick. But like I said, a nice little bonus if it works out that way. Um, and I think you know probably a, a bigger bonus for Baker than, than anybody. Um, yes. Hey guys that, on the defensive side who stood out to me real quick, uh, mm-hmm. listening to interviews, uh, David Ajabo, um, the Michigan edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a fascinating story and he's got a pretty cool personality and uh, he's like the definition of raw, but like, just tremendous upside and potential and seems like a Browns guy from that perspective. It's almost like the David Njoku story all over again, like just a freak athlete who you're going to bet on this, these athletic traits and the size of speed. Um, But he's fascinating because he was born in Nigeria, um, but moved to Scotland and grew up really in Scotland, Aberdeen. And then came over to the United States, I think when he was like 15, and went to uh, a boarding school in New Jersey. And 
he had, had never played football. He played sports, but never played football. And he saw at this uh, high school that he went to a guy a year ahead of him, a grade ahead of him, pick up football like as a newcomer to the sport and then all of a sudden get a bunch of college offers. And that was Adafi Owe, who we now know is, you know, a, a standout for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, mm-hmm. Reaped havoc against the Browns last year as a rookie coming off the edge. Uh, so I was just fascinated by that story. Uh, a job was saw uh, Owe kind of get this attention. And he was like, hey, I can do that. I, I'm a great athlete, too. And so from there, uh, he decided that he was going to play football. Now, the fascinating thing about this is even before he he played football, before he even practiced, um, Rutgers found out from his high school coach, and I think the other one was Massachusetts, found out. Um, it might have been Maryland. It, I, whatever, Rutgers for sure. In another school, found out that he was going to play, and they started recruiting him and had him in on visits even before he played, even before he practiced a down of football. And I just, just because they knew what kind of athlete he was, and that they That's were gonna crazy. want him. Even though he didn't know how to play the game, didn't know the rules. Like I mean, it's nuts. Um, and that yeah. just kind of speaks to the to the uh, athlete he is. And I was I stand so I'm in the Pro Football Writers of America, and you know, well, most people who cover the NFL are. But we have a transcript service at the Combine, Dan. You're familiar with this. So like, you sign up for a guy, and then it's your responsibility to transcribe him, and you send it to the group. It's put in a database so everybody can get the transcripts from the combine. And, you know, I had uh, a job is one of my like four guys I transcribed during the combine. And it was 20 minutes. So it was a it was a heavy lift on a transcript. But it was fun because I really got to go over everything he said. And, you know, I just pulled it up. Yes, he says that um, his first helmet was a Rutgers helmet. My second helmet was a Maryland helmet. So, yes, it was Maryland. And then the third was my Blair Academy helmet. That's the boarding school. So he had two college helmets before he even got the high school helmet that he ended up using practices <laughs> and games. It's just fascinating. And so, and then obviously he goes to Michigan, um, you know, barely plays and then just gets a shot last season and blows up. I think he had 11 sacks off the top of my head. Um so he's a guy in that range. If the Browns go for edge rusher over um, receiver in the first round, he's a guy who could be in that range where they're picking. Uh, so, you know, he's certainly not the only edge rusher to keep an eye on, but he's among them. And I thought just a guy who had that kind of personality, you know, very interesting story, uh, open, good sense of humor. Um, and... Yeah, somebody's going to bet on him with a first-round pick because of all these traits. And just like yeah. colleges were after him before he even knew what a first down was or anything like that. Um, right. Do you have any thoughts on him before I tell you two other guys real quick I really like listening to? No, no, I don't. I mean, you summed it up pretty well. Just a freaky athlete who's still kind of learning and 
kind of plays a, a little more stand-up than, than what I think the Browns are used to running. That, that's where it's interesting for me with him. But the story is, is incredible. Right. So, is, you know, is he a schematic fit in all those things? That's a great question. Um, well, real real quick, another guy who I think would, would be uh, who I listened to, he's another guy who's not from the U.S., and that's uh, George Karloftis from Purdue. Uh, he's from Greece, and uh, he came over after his dad passed away. Uh, and, you know, he has a real fascinating background, too, because it's not like he grew up playing football. He started, you know, in high school, too. He grew up playing water polo, and he described, like, when he, he played for a club team, and it's a huge deal in, in Greece and very competitive and he would like have to, I think he said he's like 10 or 11 years old and he played goalie. So his training was a little different than other um, water polo players, different positions. I don't know a lot about the sport. I've certainly watched in the Olympics and stuff, but he said he would have to tread water while holding a chair above his head. And like for a long time, <laughs> it sounds insane to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But he says like his lower body strength was built up from a young age because of his water polo training, he believes that that is like the key to his speed to power as an edge rusher and edge defender. And I like listening to him. He had like a no nonsense. Like he's not, he's like, you want to talk to him about other edge rushers or, you know, the strength of the class or what he's like, I, I don't, I, I got no idea. I'm focused on me. Like that was his whole thing. But like, when you talk to him about him and his story, it was compelling. And he opened up and, and you know, shared a lot and um, seems like a, just a total, like, um, gym rat, a guy who's just crazy committed uh, to to his craft and, and takes pride in work ethic and had an apartment really close to uh, produce facility and was just always there working. Um you know, so I, I think he's a, another interesting guy. The two guys I wanted to mention real quick, just in terms of like, wow, interviews, you walk away really impressed with guys, uh, were the Georgia defensive tackles, um, Devontae Wyatt and, I, and Jordan Davis. And I know they tore up the combine and the testing too, but the interviews were really remarkable. I thought Jordan Davis came across really likable and good. And then <laughs> I listened to Wyatt after him and he's like Mr. Personality, like, He's definitely got like a podcast and broadcasting uh, future written all over him if he wants it. And I, I don't know like anything about this, but one of the questions to him from somebody I think you cover him at Georgia during the combine was like, hey, why didn't Georgia try you out more? Like you're amazing up there on this podium. And he's like, I don't know. I just wasn't ready for media or something. And I'm like, what is going on over there? Because this guy was amazing. It was just one of those you listen to and. You could look, you could, uh, you feel like you could listen to him all day. Um, mm. Really engaging guy. So those mm. guys impressed me. I know a lot of people saw online uh, the clips and on TV on NFL Network the testing and stuff. But in case you didn't know, just personality-wise and how they were in, in addressing the media, they knocked it out of the park there too. Yeah, and you know, defensive tackle is a position where. 
We'll see. That might be a position we circle back to, depending on what happens in pre-agency with the Browns. So those might be two names to remember, maybe. So we'll see. Or they could be guys who the Ravens draft as well. So that that is in play and, and something to watch as well. So, Nate, uh, do you have anything else before we, we check out of here for, for the week? Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on a little bit, but just the latest on Jarvis Landry. Um, what I know is, you know, his camp uh, and the Browns, uh, Andrew Barry and their contract guy, uh, Chris Cooper, uh, had that meeting set up at the Combine. And now we're kind of in wait and see mode. I still think what I've always kind of thought here since like the end of the season, when if you read some of the stuff I wrote, it was like, hey, if this is Jarvis Landry's last home game, this is what his teammates will remember him for. Like, I was really bracing for this being then Jarvis Landry's tenure with the Browns. I'm still leaning that way. Um, You know, could he agree to a restructure? Um, Yes, but I think that I would be surprised by that based on, you know, what I've uh, heard behind the scenes and what he put out there for everyone to see on February 22nd on Twitter saying, you know, that he put everything in all caps, everything into this. He gave everything uh, and played hurt and played significantly hurt last season. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that he's told the Browns he wants to be back and the ball's in their court, you know, it, it doesn't strike me as a guy who's who's willing to take a significant pay cut to stay here, even though he wants to be here. Um, I think it's he wants to be here and paid well the way he believes he should be paid. And that would be the final year of his contract, which I don't think the Browns, um, you know, are going to uh, sign up for. You know, they would want him at a reduced uh, cap number because it's a little over $16 million. And and unlike Austin Hooper, it would not hurt the Browns very much at all to cut Jar- Jarvis Landry from a cap standpoint. They would only have $1.5 million in dead cap, which that's why this lines up. Uh, to be such a logical move for them uh, if, if, you know, they can't get him to agree to restructure. So I thought really since toward the end of the season that it was likely Jarvis would leave. I still think that it is likely. Um, And so we'll probably have some resolution on that, you know, this week, I would think, if not next week. And, you know, Jadavian Clowney, you know, I've checked in. Um, I think there's like kind of a wait and see from his camp right now as to what he wants to do. Um, late last season, he said he was open to coming back to the Browns, uh, after the finale, uh, against Cincinnati on January 9th, he said he liked it. He had a lot of fun, obviously being healthy, had a lot to do with it, but he did like defensive line coach, uh, Chris Kiffin, who's going to be back with the Browns after leaving for like a month. Uh, earlier in the offseason for a job at Ole Miss. He's going to be back. He liked playing with Miles Garrett. Um, He liked, you know, a lot of things about the way he was treated in the organization. He he said that he would tell other free agents uh, to come to Cleveland. Um, He does not like cold weather. That is true. That is not just some kind of (laughs) joke that Miles Garrett made up. Like, I've talked to uh, people in Clowney's life, two people, in Clowney's life, his high school coach, uh, who's known him forever, and 
a guy who trains with now, who's like his performance coach in the off season. Uh, and they both brought up like unsolicited how he does not like cold weather. And in fact, how he really had to um, kind of come to grips with that before he signed last season with the Browns. Like, just I just do not want to go to a cold weather city. But then enough things about the Browns were appealing to him. Then there are more pros than cons in his mind, even though the weather is a big con and he put a lot of stock in it. So, like, the, it really is a thing with him. <laughs> so, he came here once. He ended up liking it despite the weather. So, we'll see if he mm. comes back. But I think we could be waiting a while for him. I'm not 100% sure. But it's one of those things. It's like you just look at his history, Dan. Like, even last year, he signed with the Browns, but it wasn't until April. Like, more than a month after free agency had started. And the year before that, when he rejected the Browns' uh, courtship, he didn't sign with the Titans until September. But early yeah. September, like right before the start of the season. So this is a guy who does not have a history of signing um, as a free agent, you know, before hitting the open market or even like early in the free agency signing period. We know it starts on March 16th at 4 p.m. officially opens um, and teams can negotiate with the free agents of other franchises uh, March 14th. There's that two day window from the 14th to 16th before the deals can actually be signed. Um, I just don't, I mean, based on everything I heard and the conversations I had, I don't think Clowney's going to be done like right away. Uh, it's not his history and it's not the vibe I'm getting right now. Um, other than that, I mean, Dearness Johnson, he's become a big enough name among Browns fans to mention here. Uh, I expect the Browns to tender him as a restricted free agent before that 4 p.m. March 16th deadline. Um, the question is what level tender he get. Will will they put a second round tender on him or will they put the low tender on him? I think I'm going to lean low uh, for now. Um, but, you know, there's a chance they could go the other way and put the second round on him. But I, I'm hearing kind of the, the senses that they might be leaning the low round tender or the not. I, he was undrafted. So whatever the low level tenders, I guess what you would call it. Yeah, right. Well, that's interesting. And like Nate said, free agency starts on March 16th. So uh, we'll get a, we'll have a, obviously a better sense on the direction of the Browns at that point. Nate, this was fun. Sorry, everybody, for uh, taking a little sabbatical there from the podcast. But we'll, we'll try and get more out here this offseason as things progress and the Browns make moves. So that's going to do it for Cover 2 this week. Again, make sure to check out USA Today Sports Plus on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.